everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brother Andrew. Thank you, bud. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It really is an honor to be here. I, you can be seated. I think I'm just go by way of introduction and say, first off, thank you for singing that song. That's one of the very few songs, probably one out of, let's just say, 4.2 million songs that I can actually sing tenor on. So I feel, I feel better about myself when we sing when I think about the Lord. So that, that, that's awesome. But I also wanted to mention that we're, my family and I right now are in a transition. We have just recently moved two weeks ago from Ohio to St. Louis to, to fulfill the role as director of curriculum for Pentecostal Resources Group. So I told the lovely, which is the one, Andrea, my wife, I refer to as the lovely, I told her that... I haven't preached or taught in a month. It's the first time in 21 years, 22 actually, 22 years, that I have not preached or taught at least once within a month. So I told her, the scary thing is that I might feel compelled or led to preach and teach everything from Genesis to the maps. But the good news is I write everything down, so if I stay in my word count, I'm going to be good, you're going to be good, you might even make the Pacers game, so everything's going to be okay. But I want to thank Pastor Carson for allowing me to get to be here. I know it's a sacred trust to entrust a pulpit to anybody, so I appreciate him. And we go way back. We're both Ohio guys, big Buckeyes fans, so I love and respect, admire him so very much. I want to thank you, Pastor Hussey, for allowing me to speak to the young adults that God has given to your trust and your charge. And thank you for being here on a Wednesday night and not being at the Pacers game. I don't know how they're doing. I hope they're doing well, but... Who knows? I do have a photo of my family. I know, right? More blessed than I deserve. This is the lovely Andrea. This is McKenna, who is here. She's in Youth World tonight. This, she wanted to come to preview next weekend, but couldn't make it because of the transition. So I'm taking her to IBC tomorrow for a little preview of preview. And then this is Rayleigh. And these two lovelies are at our home church in St. Charles tonight. They couldn't be here, but McKenna is here. Hopefully, she'll get the chance to meet some of you. I want to read to you, if you would rejoin me standing. I want to read to you out of the book of Mark, chapter 6. And Brother Andrew, I would love to hear your class on Kings and Chronicles. I'm in Chronicles right now devotionally, and that sounds so very interesting. I have to sneak in someday and pretend like I'm... How old, are you? How old is your class? Uh, that one, uh, sophomores and juniors. Oh, as I say, if they're much younger, I said, I can act six. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Sophomores and juniors. I could act like that too. Yeah, that's indeed. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. I love the sound of that. You don't hear very much when somebody's just doing that, but that, that's a beautiful sound. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Now King Herod had heard of Jesus, for Jesus' name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers were working in him. Wow, Herod had some faith. Others said, it's Elijah. Others said, it's a prophet. It's like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He's risen from the dead. 
Wow. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. Because John said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife because she's your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing he was a just and holy man. So he protected him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you, up to half the kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother and the disciples came and took away John's corpse and laid it in a tomb. That's just a sordid story. So I want to tell you that story. I want to, I want to speak to you tonight about the high cost of offense. Would you ask the Lord to speak? If you brought your Bible or even your phone, either way, just lift it up and ask the Lord to speak to you from His Word. Let's exalt the Word of God tonight. God is going to speak and I want to hear what He has to say. Jesus, I want to hear what You have to say. Speak to us tonight from Your Word. God, I pray you would give us a very clear and specific word to reconcile us first to you and to one another. I'm asking you today to minister in this place, in this room, to this group of young adults who want to live for you, who want to be right with you, who want to be right with each other. I pray, Lord God, you would have your way tonight. Minister. Let there be freedom to hear and respond to your word, I pray. And let everything we offer to you, let it be worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you here back in 2018, I was here for HYC. Were you here in 18? If you were, raise your hand. All right, I'm glad both of you were here. I wanna, I wanna, the reason I say that, I want to share a story that I shared back then, but I want to share it and bring something out a little bit different. So most of you have not heard this. Here it goes. Names are kind of funny things. They, if you have a name like, like everybody else has, then it's pretty easy to hide. But when you've got a name nobody else has, there is nowhere to run. One afternoon, right after middle school had dismissed class for the day, my friend and I were out in the school parking lot. And we were bored. We had nowhere to go, nothing to do, couldn't drive. So we decided, let's do what mature middle schoolers will do. Let's, let's throw rocks at one another. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did. I reached down on the gravel parking lot, picked up a rock, threw it right at my friend. He dodged it. And he threw a rock at me. I dodged. He threw, I threw one at him. He threw one at me. I threw one at him. I don't know where he was aiming on the last one, but it was nowhere close to me. We wheeled around to see where this rock is going to land, and as we watch, we watch this harmless pebble hurtling through the air, and then we see where it's heading. And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. But it goes right into a school bus windshield. Just <laughs> Friend and I, we look at each other. School was dismissed a long time ago. There's nobody in the parking lot, nobody around. We start to run for our lives, and we heard a voice. Not from heaven, from a school bus. 
And we wheeled around to see a very angry bus driver standing at the bottom step of her now broken bus, and she was screaming at us to, you boys, get back here right now. I looked at my friend, looked at her, and I thought, well, we are younger, doubtless faster. I think we can outrun her. <laughs> but if we run, we'll be fugitives. We'll be hunted men, wanted men. Our faces plastered on every poster and every bus garage and, and teacher's lounge from home to Harvard. And I don't want to be a fugitive. I couldn't even spell fugitive. So we decided we're going to walk to the bus driver. We began our slow march toward the broken bus and the angry driver. She asked us, first question she asked us, why did you throw a rock through my windshield? <laughs> we're eighth graders. We don't know. Of course we don't know why we did it. Then she asked us our names. Now, this is where the story gets real fun because we don't have, neither he nor I, we had common ordinary names, not, not like John or Jeremy or Jason or Alejandro. My name is Lloyd. His name is Gideon. So she says, you tell me your name. And I said, my name is Legion, for we are many. <laughs> no, I said, my name is Lloyd Harry. And she said, you stop lying to me and you tell me your real name. I said, no, I'm you can take that up with my parents, but no, no, sincerely, my name is Lloyd Harry. So she looks at my friend and says, all right, fine, what's your name? And I was like, well, this is going to be good. She doesn't believe this. She'll never believe that. My name is Gideon Jones. She said, you boys, stop making up stories. Tell me your real name. Oh, seriously, my name is Gideon Jones. All right, fine. So she marches us to the office like a warden would march inmates to a, their cells. And we're standing there looking up over the desk and the secretary is on this side, we're on this side, and she looks over the desk, and she says, now, Gideon, I don't know your parents. And I thought, you are the luckiest guy in the world. So I don't know how they're going to respond to this, but Lloyd, I know your mom and dad very well. I was like, yeah, I know they call here all the time. <laughs> they are not going to be happy about this. You are not kidding. My name, if you said the name Lloyd, at Utica High School, everybody would know. You didn't have to say my last name. You don't have to say the surname. You just said, Lloyd did that. Lloyd said that. Lloyd was there. And they all knew that it was me. Not so with Herod. If you read Scripture, you'll find a handful of Herods, and every Herod was a handful. There was Herod the Great, Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, and to make life more fun, Herod Agrippa I and Herod Agrippa II. Herod, Agrippa, Herod the Great was the one who tried to kill Jesus right after Jesus was born, but he failed. Herod the Great was wicked, and not like in a 1970s good kind of wicked way. He was a wicked, wicked man. He had a son named Herod Antipas, and he wasn't a cherub, but he was better than his dad, a little bit. And he was intrigued by this preacher named John. They're kind of a bit of an odd pair. You have this ambitious, self-centered ruler named Herod, who is intrigued by this fiery evangelist named John, who lunched on locusts and wore camel skins to church. But Herod loved to listen to John because John listened to God. So during one trip to see the family, Herod met his brother's wife, Herodias, and those two fell in love, but they were married but not to each other. So he divorced her and she divorced him, and then they ended up marrying each other. And nobody would stand up to Herod. No one had the courage to be able to tell basically the king in that area that he has sinned, but John did. John pointed that preacher finger in Herod's face and said, you have grieved God, you have sinned, and you need to repent. John says that to Herod's dad, Herod the Great. No more John. But Herod Antipas valued life a little more than his dad, so he let him live. But Herodias, now that was different. Herodias was fuming. 
One night they're at dinner and Herod just says, man, did you guys hear that message John preached last Sabbath? And the other ten heard it? Mm. What a word. And as soon as she said, he said his name John, Herodias stabbed her stake. You could feel tension, hatred in the room. Herod knew his wife was fuming. He knew his wife was mad. and So he had John thrown into prison just to try to keep the peace a little bit. But Herod was still intrigued by John. Scripture says that he would send for him often and hear what he had to say because he wanted to hear from God and John could hear from God. Even though John's word cut Herod to the heart, he still called John to ask him what God was telling him. And then the night came, the palace was full of the who's who in Herod's life. It was Herod's favorite day because it was all about his favorite person, Herod. It was his birthday. The higher-ups, the military men, the rich, the famous, and Galilee, they were all there in the palace to celebrate Herod's favorite person. And during the party, Herod wanted to show off his trophy family. And so he called in his wife's daughter. She was beautiful. And he called her in to dance so everybody could see how beautiful she was. Whether or not she wanted to, we do not know. But we know that she danced before Herod and all of his drunken friends. And they yelled to her and they whistled at her and they catcalled to her and they clapped and they tried to reach out and touch her. And it was wicked and it was wrong to exploit his daughter like he did, but he did it anyways. And after the dance, they all applauded. They were all so happy. Herod was happy. The nobles, the royalty, they were all happy. Everybody's happy and drunk, which is a very dangerous cocktail. And Herod, with all this ego and all these people sitting around watching to see how he will respond, he wanted to show off not only how pretty she is, but how rich he is. And he offered to pay his daughter for her dance. He told her she could set the price. He told it in front of everybody. Whatever you say, I'll pay it. Up to half the kingdom. You just name it, it is yours. Name the price. But she's not ready for this. She just came in to dance. She doesn't, doesn't know dad's going to offer this Maybe she could ask for a pony. She already has one. Maybe she could have two. But dad's offering half the kingdom. She doesn't know what to ask for, but she knows who does. Mom. Mom will know what I should ask for. So she weaves her way through the drunken guests who whistle and try to touch her until she found her mom. And she stood there in front of her mom with stars in her eyes. And she told her mom all about the dance and told her mom all about what her dad said she could ask for. So what should she ask for? She could ask for a pony, but forget it. She'll ask for a stable of ponies. Or maybe her own farm or her own ranch. Or she could ask for a zoo. Or maybe a mall, if they're even alive anymore. She could ask for gold. She loves gold. She could ask for half the kingdom. That's what he's offering. Half the kingdom in gold. Half the kingdom in jewels. She could ask her dad for a position. She could rule her own kingdom inside of her dad's kingdom. Mom, I don't know what to ask for, but dad is offering me half the kingdom what do I ask for? And Herodias looked right into her daughter's starry eyes and said with a smirk, ask for the head of John the Baptist. No. No, really, Mom. Dad is offering half the kingdom. You know him. He doesn't give anybody anything. This is a once-in-a-lifetime offer. I get one swipe at his gilded credit card with only half the kingdom as the limit. I've got to make this count. You've got to give me a good idea. What do I ask for? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Her mom was serious. Like she wasn't, this, was, this wasn't a joke. She was serious. 
So the daughter walked away from her, walked up to her dad, and he looks a little worried. If you've ever offered anything to somebody and they're like, oh. If you ever a parent and say, you know what, forget it. Wherever you want to go tonight, you just name it and we'll go. They're like, all right, melting pot. Oh, that's going to cost half the car payment. He looks that worried. Starting to think a little bit, maybe he's got some buyer's remorse. Maybe he's offered too much for the dance. What will this cost him? What will she ask for? And so he asks her, what do you want, sweetheart? I made you a deal. I'm a man of my word. I will keep my word. What do you want? It's yours up to half the kingdom. And she glanced back to see her mom still standing in the back of the room with her arms folded and that look in her eyes. So she looks back up at her dad and she said, I want... the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod was speechless. He had his wallet out, put his wallet away. This is going to cost him. He just didn't realize how much. For everything she could ask for, she asks for this. And Herod loved John. Herod revered John. Herod feared John. Herod respected John. But because of his oath, he would have to kill John. So he looks to one of his guards who has a sword still hanging from his side, and he says, well, you heard her. Go get it. And the guard disappears, comes back a few minutes later, carrying the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The guard gave it to the young lady who carries it through the crowd and gave it to her mother. And the party was over. And it costs her half the kingdom just because mom was offended. The high cost of offense. Ever since the day John told Herod, you're wrong, it's not right for you to marry your brother's wife. You're married, she's married, not to each other. You need to repent and get right with God. Ever since that day, Herodias could not have a good day. She kept thinking about John. It kept eating away at her. It galled her until finally, finally, she could get revenge on John for what he said that offended her. And it cost her daughter half the kingdom. Herodias didn't really know John. John didn't really know Herodias. Maybe, maybe... Herodias thought when they got married that John would celebrate her sin, or maybe she could bribe him to turn a blind eye to her sin because John needed some better clothes. I mean, locusts and camel's hair, really? Here, why don't you go down to Shapiro's and grab yourself a good lunch, and here, why don't you go and get a suit all on me? When he preached to her and her husband that they needed to repent, she was offended. She should have been thankful that she had a man of God in her life to preach the word of God to her, to get her right with God, even though she didn't want to hear truth, John was willing to preach truth. John Cleese made a, an interesting statement. He said this, people are deliberately waiting for the thrill of being offended. In our day of sensitivity and intolerance, I've got some very unpopular news, but that's, the word of God is offensive to sin. The word of God will offend us when we're in sin. It's like somebody turning the light on at 3 o'clock in the morning and your eyes scream for darkness, but somebody insists on turning on the light. That's what God's Word does. His Word does not allow us to live comfortably in our sin and in our darkness without flooding our soul with light. If you want a preacher to celebrate sin or turn a blind eye to it, you might have a motivational speaker, you might have a life coach, but you don't have a preacher because a preacher like John will preach the Word of God to every one of us, whether or not we want to hear it. It will preach it because the Word of God alone offends sin. So when you come on Sundays, come on Wednesdays, or you're in a home Bible study, or your personal devotion, and you realize that your life does not line up with the Word of God, you should thank God that He loves you enough 
to send His Word, to turn the light on, to bring you out of darkness and bring you back to Him in a place of repentance. God's Word is offensive to sin. But that is not a license for us to offend in sharing God's Word. And so let me just say this. If I or any other teacher or any other preacher or any other pastor in your life has ever offended you in the way we have delivered the Word of God, allow me to ask for forgiveness for me and for them in offending in the way we have delivered the Word of God. I can never apologize for the Word, but if we have ever felt like a preacher was unfeeling or uncaring or angry or self-righteous, I would ask you to forgive me and forgive us. One man said, you should never preach about hell with dry eyes. I hear people ask all the time, young people, young adults will say stuff like, why does the, why does the preacher look mad all the time? I'd love to share an upbeat message and we can just kind of run around the room like it's NASCAR, just keep turning left, you'll never go wrong, but... I believe the Lord led me here tonight from Missouri to here to warn you of the high cost of offense. And I pray that this is more preventative than it is prescriptive, that nobody in here is offended, but this is something you'll pack away. But I have a feeling the law of averages and statistics, somebody in here tonight brought offense and bitterness and resentment in here, much like Herodias, and you can't have a good day because you're offended at what somebody said. So the Word of God says this, if you're offended at somebody, you need to go to them and make it right. Don't do what Herodias did. Don't plan and scheme and plot and plan your revenge, but rather go to the person who offended you and humbly and ask, you, ask them to bring reconciliation and have an opportunity for you too to make things right. But don't go home and share it with your family or share it all over social. Herodias was so bitter against John, she poisoned her own daughter against him. You're going to need this one day if you have aspirations and dreams of having some littles, of having a mister or missus in your life and some littles, and God blesses you with a husband, wife, and children. Do not poison your family against the ministry because you have been offended by what the ministry has said. You need to go to the teacher, go to the preacher, go to the pastor and give them an opportunity to make things right and reconcile. Sometimes it's just a misspeak. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding. Other times it's more than that. But either way, give them an opportunity to make it right. Do not silence the voice of the man of God in their life because you didn't want to hear what he had to say. The lovely and I were youth pastor in Orlando, which was fun. That was a neat place for about five years. And one night, it was Easter night, I was making announcements and at that time, you're, now you're going to have to follow me. This, this can get a little confusing. At that time, we had two, well, had one particular lady. Her name was Sister Clark, and she was in the ICU. She had been holding on just really by a thread with her health. I had gone down to visit her several times, prayed with her. She was still not doing well, and she was deteriorating in her health. She was in the ICU, Sister Clark. But then all of a sudden, for no reason, without warning, Sister Reynolds passed away. And so on that Sunday night, I'm making announcements and telling everybody the funeral for Sister Reynolds will be on Tuesday. Instead, I said, the funeral for Sister Clark will be on Tuesday at 11. And from the back of the room, somebody yelled, Reynolds! Reynolds! I'm sorry? It's Reynolds! And I dawned on me what I've just said. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. The funeral for Sister Reynolds will be on Tuesday at 11. It, Sister, Sister Clark is, 
She has not passed away. She is still alive and well. I mean, she's not well, but she's still alive. At least I, I think she is. I mean, I don't know. It could not. I, don't. I bumbled and stumbled and fumbled and tried to get through all of that. And finally, I was like, oh, and then peanut brittle after church. And then I walked off the platform, gave it to Pastor Hobson. like, good luck, buddy. Walked off the platform, and I, I walked right over to where the Clark family, <laughs> the Clark family was in church that night. They were sitting, and I just buried their mother before she even died. And I knelt next to them, and they were sobbing. They came to church on a Sunday night because that's where they would be encouraged. That's where their spirits would be lifted. That's where they would get faith. And instead, I just buried their mother before she died. And I said, I'm so sorry. And they cried, and I cried. And before service was over, I crawled underneath the door to leave. I felt that I just wanted to get out of there. Because I have offended them. And it was for me, it was just a misspeak. It wasn't intentional. It was just a misspeak. Sometimes it's, it's that. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's misunderstanding. Sometimes it's offering the very best advice with what we have, but that advice backfires. Or maybe even you caught your pastor on a really rough day and he was short with you. Can I just say, please give him grace. Pastors are human. But don't follow Herodias' lead. Because there will dawn a day when you will need a man or woman of God in your life to talk to somebody in your life, whether it's a child, a sibling, another young adult, or maybe a, a student you're trying to help mentor. And if you have torn down the man of God in your life or the woman of God in your life, they won't listen because you won't listen. And you'll march them to the office or to the altar begging for somebody to talk to them because you won't listen. they won't listen because you've already executed the voice of the man of God in their life. It may cost your family their soul because they no longer listen to the ministry. Hear me, there is a high cost of offense. And you're not the only one to pay that price. Jesus Himself said it's impossible to breathe air and not have the opportunity to be offended, but not everybody will pay that cost because not everybody will choose to be offended. The Christ-like ones will choose forgiveness over offense. And yet some, for some reason, stubbornly will renew their subscription to offense year after year after year. Some in the family won't talk to somebody else in the family for years, for decades, because something they said back 20 years ago. Friends haven't seen friends because they're offended. Businesses break apart. Marriages fall apart. Many of them the victims of offense. So the question bears asking, what do we do when we've been offended? If Jesus said, all of you will be offended, what do we do when we've been offended? Do we pretend like it never happened? Well, we can't do that because it did happen. Do we assume we did something wrong so they had the right to offend us? Well, that's not right because maybe they didn't have the right and maybe you are right that you were right, so that's not right. So what do we do if we've been offended? We do our best to reconcile. Reconciliation is hard, hardly ever easy, but it is always right. In fact, Jesus even said, if you come to the altar, it's one of those beautiful, powerful Sunday services. And you walk up to the altar and raise your hands and you remember they're still mad at me. <laughs> We've not made it right. Jesus said, I love your worship, but before you offer that to me, you need to go offer reconciliation to them. Then come back to the... I don't know anything that would cause Jesus to say, yeah, let's pause that worship service just for a moment. Except for making things right with one another. If there's anything Jesus cherishes more than worship, it's unity within the body of Christ.
If somebody is angry with us or angry because of what they did or said or what they didn't do or didn't say, let's do our very best to reconcile and make it right. And sometimes we can't. Sometimes they won't hear us. Sometimes they won't forgive us. But may it never be said that we won't hear or forgive others that we didn't at least try. So if you have done what you can do and made an effort to reconcile and put that offense beneath the blood of Jesus and ask him to forgive you, you're not responsible for their response. You're only responsible for doing what you can to make it right. And then you leave the rest to them and to God. Would you stand with me, please? After Herod locked John up, John started to second guess his first message. His very first message concerning Jesus was that Jesus is Messiah. John stood knee-deep in the muddy Jordan River when Jesus came over the crest of a hill and he said, that's him. He's the one we've been waiting for all these years. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his first message when he saw Jesus. But after he'd been locked in prison for a little while, he sent some messengers with a simple question. Ask Jesus this question. Are you really him? Or do we look for another? And Jesus answered by saying, Tell him the blind see, the lame leap, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel preached. And then Jesus said this, And blessed is he who is not offended in me. If we can live a life free of offense toward God and toward one another, Jesus said, You are living a blessed life. Here's what I'd like us to do. We'll get ready to pray. I want us to search our hearts. I want to I ask God tonight if we're harboring hatred, if we're harboring offense. I, I want you to ask God if there's anybody in your life who has offended you. Anybody in your life who has hurt you and you're still mad at them, still bitter at them. Today is a good day to give your offense to Jesus and ask Him to heal you and forgive you. It might have even been years, but today is a good day to bring healing to your own heart and to somebody else's. If you don't want to pay the high cost of offense, we must be willing to do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation, but God's calling us to do that right now. Would you lift your hands and lift your voice and let's, let's search our hearts tonight. God, if there's anything in my heart that shouldn't be there, please forgive me. If I have offended somebody, God, please let me know so I can make it right with them. If anybody has offended me and I still hold it against them or I'm still angry at them and bitter at them, if I still have offended them,